You're listening to Power and Public Space, a co-production of Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. I'm your host, Matthew Blunderfield. When we think about public space, we often conflate this with urban space. In this episode, Jonas Zakowskis discusses his consideration of the forest as a space of social engagement in relation to a project called Forest Parts. Initiated in 2019 in collaboration with Jurga de Barate, Forest Parts is an ongoing project that offers to perceive the forest as an infrastructure formed by civic consensus. Jonas and Jurga's project emerged from a residency at the Naringa Artist Colony, located on the Kironian Spit, which projects from the Russian exclave of Kaliningrad and into Lithuanian territory. Jonas and Jurga view this spit as a kind of cultural landscape, seeing it as a case study of forest management. In our conversation, Jonas discusses architecture as a cultural practice, which, in the case of the Forest Parts Project, is deemed capable of enhancing the optics through which society senses a forest. He also expands on the novel forms of drawing and representation, which he and Jurga use to bring the public to a more intimate understanding of the forest itself. This conversation was recorded in early March of 2022. Jonas was in his studio in Vilnius, Lithuania, and I was at the Architecture Foundation in London. So here it is, my conversation with Jonas Zakaskis. Just to confirm, where are you right now? Are you in Lithuania? Yeah, yeah, I am in Vilnius now. It's sunny here. Um, it seems quiet and... Uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's around 600 kilometers from Kiev. And just to to give some context to the conversation, we're recording this on the 9th of March, almost two weeks into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You're based in Lithuania. Your project that we're going to be discussing is situated in the Kironian Spit, which is divided between Lithuania and Russia. Just tell me, first of all, how you're doing, what thoughts are going through your head right now? Um, I don't know, like, uh, really where to start. Uh, it's it's uh, mm, usually uh, when uh, talking about what we are doing, uh, uh, for us is very much, it's really, for us, it's really important to, to um, situate us on the map. Uh, so... So we we are looking into Baltic space, Baltic uh, Baltic states. Uh, this uh, little uh, little space of three three countries, like Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, which were part of USSR, and these are the only states uh, for that were part of USSR to become part of uh, European project, uh, EU, and then also uh, NATO. So that that actually tells you a lot about this uh, this huge shift in the last thirty years, which we went through. Of course, myself and Jurga, we got our education in London. We I studied architecture at uh, at uh, architectural association and then other schools uh, prior to that. Uh, so in a way, like the the kind of journey that we took, uh, it, it's it's a journey of uh, of. of emancipation uh, in a way and then like uh, this uh, this turn to to come back to work uh, back home um, so in a way uh, um, for us is really important 
to uh, to dismantle the idea of self-colonization. No? What do you, and what do you mean by that? Uh, well, it's a kind of um, uh, also um, kind of thought to critically assess uh, assess European enlargement in a way in a way that to to actively make it your own project as well. So it's it's a uh, it's not that we are integrating. We are integrated into European Union for many years now, and the question is how to uh, with the tools of architecture how can we. Um, uh, how can we actualize the problems we are facing here, which are like really, um, really characteristic uh, for our region and, and this environment and the built space that there is and politics and geopolitics and, and so on. That's, so in a way, like we are trying to be really specific about place we are operating in. Uh, in a way, like, you know, uh, Western architecture was really concerned uh, with uh, problems of metropolis, no, we don't have metropolis here. We have uh, we have other other spatial condition, which is much uh, less dense, uh, and uh, and, uh, and the relationship to nature is is a bit different than in Western Europe. So in a way, like the the the, the idea of uh, architecture, what architecture is also is a kind of uh, um, uh, we are, I would say. Uh, rethinking that a little bit as well. Mm. Yeah, I guess it seems like it's something more distributed and more to do with infrastructure. And it's an incredibly complex territory that your project Forest Parts is situated on. I wanted to pose this question of public space now in this light. So mm -hmm. when we think about public space, we tend to consider the street, the plaza, the park or the square these often urban or human-made spaces for people to gather, to be together and engage in civic life. So I wanted to understand what your framework was for understanding forest space as a kind of public space. Well, uh, the question is through, uh, through what we could, uh, we could take care yeah, there's a question of care. Take care of uh, of nature. Yeah, if you would say that uh, that extractivist approach uh, to forest should be the the top priority, uh, uh, then there are other other ways to to look into forest. Yeah? Uh, because there are sci scientists, those uh, activists who care about biodiversity. Uh, there is, uh, there are sustainability goals which can be achieved by planting trees and uh, and promoting uh, um, carbon uh, sequestration. They all are in kind of quite controversial uh, in in some kind of discrepancy controversy between each other. These uh, these things. So here, uh, idea of of public comes in. Because only only public, only citizens could decide uh, on the kind of political solution of the of these things. Um, through the public concern, it becomes a public space. And also, like uh, sh we should mention that in uh, in Nordic countries, in Lithuania uh, uh, and our region, uh, public could enter forest. You cannot fence off the forest, uh, as uh, in. Uh, 
uh, in difference to United States, for example, where you can actually build a fence around uh, quite large territories uh, of uh, of um, of natural habitats, and then uh, you know no one can enter uh, in a way. Here you have a right, so the public right of of using nature is quite quite important here. So in in that uh, in and here. Uh, it becomes uh, it becomes contested, no? Because public enter, they see what is happening in forests, and there the images uh, through uh, through social media, through media, start circulating of uh, of um, uh, of clear cuts uh, and um, and old forests being uh, uh, cut uh, and and. You know, and that so the the image of construction is on one uh, of destruction is on one side, and then image of uh, of what nature is on is on the other side. You no, know, so what mm. what we know about nature, uh, you know, in our education, it's quite different from we ac what we actually see in the forest. And also, then and here here it becomes uh, kind of conceptually, uh, you see that uh, that uh, that. The question of how to how to describe how to understand the space uh, becomes evident. Yeah. I want to talk now more about this idea of the image of a forest and the importance of images in architectural practice. So, as I as I gather, you understand architecture as a cultural practice, which, in the case of your work in the Naranga Forest Architecture Residency Program that you're just describing, you deem capable of, and I'm quoting you now enhancing the optics through which society senses a forest. So I want you to help me unpack this idea. What does it mean to enhance a public sensation of the forest? And what role does architecture play in achieving this? So for, for us, uh, architecture is a propositional practice, which, which, um, which is always in between. It's not actually a knowledge, but it's more like uh, uh, agency which could coordinate. The architect is 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 the one who proposes. No? So in 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 the context of uh, of forest, uh, we see it not as as a natural space at all. So it's always uh, always comes together through some sort of intervention. No? So so the the idea of uh, of image of forest, I, I think it's a kind of uh, um, really, a architectural concern um, because uh, they all are are constructed images. They all carry certain certain kind of messages and, and meanings. Remember, there was uh, Rene Descartes uh, wrote uh, uh, his text on optics. No, there was like this blind man who who is. Uh, Trying to make sense of his surroundings with the with the blind man's stick, so Descartes explains that optics is that is that stick. You know, it's not necessarily the eye uh, that sees, but but you you sense the surroundings with with the stick. You you sense objects. How how are they soft or or hard and and so on. So I think like in a way the the kind of idea of optics uh, here is quite important. You know, because how do we how do we understand what is around us? No? And in kind of contemporary condition, it's not quite literal. Uh, it, you have to really think on, on projections also. 
what is expected, wh how, how things are planned, how things, uh, how things are set out. Uh, so in order to, to understand policy, you have to really go, uh, go into quite complex, actually, you know, optics there. That's so helpful, the way you explain this idea of optics, which I think typically that term would be understood more along political lines in terms of how one is perceived by a public. We talk about good optics and bad optics uh, amongst the politically savvy. But in, in fact, this more historical idea of optics is being a process of sensing and making sense of one's environment is now I understand the kind of optics that your work is engaged with. And to me, it situates the act of drawing as integral to this process of optics. You talk about the stick. <laughs> Again, this like very tactile, um, I think, exercise in, in um, rendering one's environment. And there's a really clear relationship between the act of seeing and the act of drawing in that regard as well. I wonder if we could talk now about some examples of these images or possibly these structures as they relate to your work as part of the Naringa Forest Architecture Residency Program. So like what specific images have you and Yurga produced or what specific structures or systems have you constructed or revealed that start to tie public sensation more closely to the forest landscape? Well, uh, Neringa Forest Architecture is, is, a, is a project on culture, really, I would say. So it's not that we, we are making images ourselves, but it's more a kind of wider idea on role of culture in, uh, in, in forest space and in relation to nature and and so on, which, which uh, tries to tie together the kind of idea of, uh, of industry and then idea of, uh, of uh, activism. And then it thinks about the role of art, uh, architecture and other cultural practices. So we try to, to initiate, uh, we, we try to publish, we try to, to invite those who, who work with the topic of forest in a way like really knit, uh, knit networks and through that maybe we can talk about uh, knowledge emerging. So in a way like the, we don't kind of really uh, are focused on, uh, on uh, drawings that we do, uh, but it's more, more about, uh, about creating relationships. So we, I would say, I would say that, uh, and in a way, uh, as as we are working with uh, Neringa Forest Architecture in Nida Art Colony, which is uh, art artistic institution run by Egia Inzule, who who joined it like a couple of years ago as a director, uh, it's in a way uh, uh, an experiment on how culture culture infrastructure could be used to to raise uh, environmental questions. Mm. This is so interesting. It's reminding me of how you described the Forest Parts Project or described this phenomenon of a sedimentary infrastructure taking shape through the Naringa Forest Architecture Initiatives. I'm just going to list a few of them. So there's 
examples like children's books that explore the natural world and the forest um, to walks organized in collaboration with local foresters and landscape planners and architects, as well as a series of talks and debates where different views are shared. Um, and it suggests a role for the architect as a social and political organizer, maybe even more so than um, someone responsible for producing built form. I mean, could you respond to that? To what degree, in your eyes, has the architect in this situation become an organizer, kind of cultural organizer? But at the end of the day, we are left with artifacts. I imagine drawing must have some agency in this process as well and becomes, in a way, one of these artifacts of the work you're doing or one of these rhetorical tools to reveal to a broader public um, different ways of seeing or sensing, as you say, the forest. Could you talk a little bit about how drawing comes into play for you? I would say, uh, you know, one, one way you could see uh, um, drawing is, uh, uh, is not about visualizing. Hmm? Um, it's about, uh, about conceptual images you create. No, so that you know, we know that um, in conceptual art, things maybe are only in your head <laughs> that that appear. Uh, so, uh, so really, actually, learning from conceptual art, um, we uh, uh, we mm, drew, made models, and and built uh, built a timber seasoning shed to store the boards and timber we. We were cutting in uh, in uh, in Neringa, uh, and in a way to to make it as a public exhibit. No? So so I would say like uh, so the drawing is is drawings of uh, of wood textures in relationship to maps that we display there on on that shed. Um, uh, so the, kind of the whole complexity of it is is that this public exhibit of of resource, which otherwise w would have become uh, biofuel, so we we bought it uh, for the, the for the price of fuel, and then and then we reinterpret it as a resource, as a as a cultural asset in a way. Like, no? Then we invite uh, designers and and others to make uh, furniture maybe from those boards or, or other objects. So, so in a way, like the, the kind of um, idea of, uh, of uh, cut through wood to reveal its, uh, its, in a way, history, which is inscribed in that. And then also on, on, on the same shed, we, we exhibit uh, maps and diagrams of, uh, of how, how wood uh, turns while dry, drying and, and so on. So then, uh, so in a way, like, it's quite tactile experience of, uh, of actually looking at it. This is really helpful. I feel like it's starting to ground these abstract ideas into a physical object and into a specific process of representation. And I'm thinking, too, about another image of the work I've seen where a cross-section of a tree itself becomes uh, a surface upon which information is rendered. So I think it's a section of a pine tree, which is then laid on its side and becomes a kind of 
informational surface. So there's a, I mean, could you describe it in more detail? There's, I think, a metal that's been fixed to the section of timber with uh, drawings on the metal. Could you just talk more about that specific object or that artifact? Ah, so yeah, yeah, we, we made one, we have made one, one exhibit we call uh, a pine sample. Uh, quite early uh, in when we started just working on this uh, forest project, um, we started actually uh, thinking about how to engage different agencies which which work with local landscape of of Neringa. So, which was of course a national park, the municipality, uh, communal services company, and then we we asked them like really. Um, uh, we had few options of what our intervention could be. And then really reading through all sorts of materials, documents that they, they produce uh, how, and how they coordinate the, the, um, uh, the actions, we, we found um, um, that actually the, the, the interventions in the forest are coordinated through uh, forest... Uh, forest planning document. So in that forest planning document, we found that, ah, okay, so that there are these like little strips of forest, self-seeded forest, uh, which is about to be cleared uh, next to sand dunes. Uh, time to time, forest spreads by seeding itself. Uh, and then if in order to preserve uh, quite fragile uh, habitats of, of dunes which are overgrown with, uh, with moss and lichen, uh, you have to really clear the, the trees. And, uh, and the kind of paradoxical thing is that, that those trees were, were being cut in a strict nature reserve where you cannot even enter. So, so we uh, dug uh, one pine out, actually with, with its roots as much as we could. Uh, we, we we uh, we did cut it longitudinally from from uh, from its top to to its roots and then uh, placed it in uh, in uh, Nida uh, town center uh, next to lagoon where there's a lot of tourists and people you know have like evening walks and so on and then uh, in that it, when when we split the tree we have like two sides no so those two sides uh, where you where you enter in between of them. That, there we displayed uh, little maps of, uh, of history of, uh, of Neringa, how forest was planted and how it grew, and what, what were, were the causes uh, um, to, to plant it, how sand was shifting and so on. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we publicized the, the current forest uh, planning documents, I would say, like in the form of, of maps and like little comments. So people know where they are. So when they come to this resort town, they realize, ah, well, actually, uh, this, this, this landscape is a constructed landscape uh, and uh, the works are ongoing for, for so many years and it is ac actively being taken care of. Um, so that, that becomes, becomes this moment where we, where we try to experiment with what public exhibit is and how can we how can we reveal what is what is around you really mm. it's a really fascinating juxtaposition of a natural organism the uprooted tree in the context of a town square 
sliced in half to be made into a surface for the representation of policy, literally. I think for me, that's when this becomes a deeply intriguing scenario where you're underscoring the degree to which this particular forest and perhaps many forests in general, their survival is dependent on their management and the policies which guide their management. And so this juxtaposition of an organic an organic kind of species, this living thing, and the abstraction of policy kind of inscribed on top of it, to me is where we start to get into um, this very interesting space that you're investigating around this idea of somehow grounding our understanding of infrastructure and grounding our understanding of environmental management by using the object that is managed as a tool for representing the ideas that govern its management. So it's just such an exciting image to, in a way, start to encapsulate these other ideas that you put forward. I just have one more question for you. You've explained that you understand the forest in part by seeing it as a space of many interests that can be shaped by public agency. So architecture in this view can obviously help inform this agency by stimulating the public imagination. And I wanted to ask, what imaginary visions are you developing as part of the Naringa Forest Architecture Project? I would say the kind of imagining what, uh, how forest uh, could could develop (laughs) or or, uh, what uh, relationship uh, public between public and, and, and forest and the agencies actually which 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 um, uh, work there um, could be how this could could take shape uh, I think it rests in part on on actually explaining the the methods how how forest is is planned and, and how it is worked on for example uh, Kind of one of the interesting realizations we had uh, uh, was the work of uh, Leonardo Skirukštis. He, he was a forester in Soviet times, and he was in a kind of forefront of Soviet uh, cybernetics. Um, uh, and his his field was dendrochronology. So by analyzing the the rings of trees, uh, how they how they develop in relationship to to the soil conditions, he was developing uh, mathematical models on on how uh, how how we could actually approximate the, the resource that that actually is is harvested later. Uh, and I think, in a way, like uh, this uh, this snippet um, uh, should be in in public consciousness. Uh, to in a way like explain the kind of idea on how the planning software for for forestry works, um, and uh, and how the kind of financial models of investment into into forest uh, resource works. And I think through that you can you can actually then uh, then um, uh, actualize the idea of uh, of responsibility there. So the, the kind of uh, proposition is uh, is um, is to to meticulously reveal the methods 
and reveal the relationships between those who act there uh, in order to to create uh, create image in in public's mind it's also educational project question of of education really on how to, how can we kind of uh, translate quite an expert uh, expert methods expert knowledge into something that that we can all really grasp and understand Jonas thank you so much for your time Great, really uh, glad to talk. Power in Public Space is a co-production of Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. I'm Matthew Blunderfield and I make the show. Check out the other episodes in this series, which are all online and ready to stream wherever you're hearing this now. If you like the show, leave a rating on iTunes. And thanks for listening.